Welcome to an interview with, I'm Odelia, a movement psychotherapist and coach. I help people to listen to their body as well as their mind in order to navigate challenging experiences. And I've put this series together because I've realized that when we are struggling, it's often more than one type of support that we need. So I've invited several wellbeing practitioners from a variety of fields to chat to me about what they do. So today I'll be chatting to a Samaritan here on an interview with, and I'll refer to them as Joe, given that Samaritans tend to work confidentially. And the organisation has made itself available to anyone experiencing emotional difficulty or distress. And it has taken notably in the past uh, an inclusive attitude in allowing callers to define their own need and determine their own use of the service. This is information from a 2010 uh, Nottingham University evaluation report about the Samaritans. It does say also that seven in 10 people have rated the service as good or excellent and said that they were very satisfied. And also that most people felt better immediately after their contact with Samaritans. So Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adelia. It's nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And would you say that reflects your experience? I- um, yeah, I would say that's a fairly reasonable reflection of, of what it is that we do. And, and it's kind of good to hear as well that, um, as you said, that people do feel better, for one of a better way of putting it, after, after having spoken to a Samaritan, because um, that's sort of the purpose of the exercise, really. What, um, what do you think? that is there anything else that Samar- Samaritans offer, offer that you feel the public don't really know about or is not publicised enough? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's a it, it, it's a very very broad um, spectrum of people that we have phoning up, in, it, and I think there's a bit of misconception around it, which possibly stops people from calling sometimes as well. Is that people think that it's um, primarily for people that are you know on the verge of suicide or very close to sort of wanting to take their own lives? primarily we're there to offer emotional support to people really and it and it's i think it's a <clears throat> excuse me i i think that it's, it's important for people to understand that we mm. that we don't um counsel people and that we don't offer or we shouldn't be offering advice you know we're not trained to do that we are sort of purely there to listen to people really and to and to uh, to sort of support people in talking through their own sort of situations and problems themselves really and without sort of us being in the position of providing answers for them and I think just a lot of times that's such a massive help for people to be able to have that opportunity to do that where where they may not be able to you know in with other people in their lives I guess. Absolutely and, and so that, that I, I quite like that aspect what it said in the report about it being sort of led by the caller about what they want mm. to talk about. So mm-hmm. are you saying then if I was, you know, if I was having a bad day, um, I mean, we mm-hmm. all have bad days and then, you know, it sort of felt like one bad day too many. I had no one to talk to. Um, I wasn't really sure why I was feeling bad, um, but I just felt like I needed to offload to someone. Could, mm-hmm. could I ring the Samaritans at that point, you know, where I'm not Absolutely. really in crisis? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's okay. yeah, it's a big it's a big part of what we do. I think is being there as uh, you know a, a support for people. Yeah. In that situation, and I think it's uh, I think sometimes people that maybe are in that situation of feeling like that wouldn't phone because they feel as though 
potentially that they'd be wasting our time, which, which which most certainly isn't the case. I think if you've reached the point where you're considering phoning the Samaritans, then then the chances are that you you need somebody to talk to, you know, and mm. that's that's kind of what we do. And compared um, to other helplines, do you, you know, is there say say a difference between the Samaritan calling Samaritans and and another mental health uh, helpline? I think possibly the thing that, or one of the things that set, separates us from from other helplines is the fact is the anonymity aspect in the sense that we don't have any ident- identifying information about you. If you were to phone us up and uh, and speak to a Samaritan, we we don't know who you are, and unless you disclose that information to us, we don't have um, as a as a volunteer, you know, I don't have access to your phone number. I don't have access to any information about you. So it's a completely anonymous service in that respect. Whereas I think you'll find that, um, that if you phoned say, uh, well, I'm not going to mention any other charities names for, for obvious reasons, but if you phone one or two of the other sort of charity organizations, they would be potentially looking to take some details about you before they got into the, the you know, the sort of, um, into mm, your situation really. Yeah. So, That's so really interesting. That, and I think that's important for people to understand that as well, really, when, mm. you know, if, if they are considering phoning us, because I think that's also um, a, a reason that people get get put off phoning mm. because because they feel that, you know. So, I, so could you know, it, if I was ringing you, could I give um, a false name then? Or, or if you give my name? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we would never ask you your name anyway, really. Right, but, okay. Generally speaking, unless you volunteered it, really, it would not, it's not... It's not part of our sort of remit. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not something that, that we do, really. That's really interesting from a, ther- you know, cause as I work as a dance movement psychotherapist and a coach, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and I'm, tr- I'm rigorously trained that, you know, I have to be responsible for safeguarding if there's the slightest hint of someone being either suicidal or self-harming, mm-hmm. that I have to get yeah, yeah. all the details down and report it to the safeguarding, you know, mm-hmm. the person mm-hmm. who's the lead for safeguarding. So yeah. clearly the Samaritans are in a, in a completely different position and, uh, and are quite unique in that regard. I, I, we do have a safeguarding policy. Um, right, okay. But, but, ha- but how that is implemented is that if we felt that, let's say, a child was in a dangerous situation, um, th- th- those, are, those are the sort of exceptional circumstances in which we would potentially reach out to, to other agencies. Uh, okay. To, or, if we, or, or a vulnerable adult. I can understand because, why, though, because, as you say, it can actually be a barrier then if someone knows that they're going to be, this action is going to be taken or well, it, yes. it should actually, yeah. it sort of yeah. is, is a barrier. So so it may, yeah. I don't know if any research has been done on that, but it could actually be the case that the Samaritans provide an opportunity which then actually helps more people resolve something because they've been able to get immediate support. Yeah, um, yeah rather than going i'm not mm. going to ring at all because i just don't want to have to deal with red tape and, and being processed through things i may have already well, been well, processed. Yeah, that's right yeah yeah and i think in that instance it's it is literally a lifeline for people when mm. for the for the reasons that you've just stated really and i suppose also you know like with covid and the lockdown it must mm. have just amplified everything i mean i know there was a statement from um one of the uh, Samaritan branch leaders saying that, you know, that volunteers are utterly motivated to ensure the helpline keeps running as callers raise COVID-19 related concerns. But I suppose mm-hmm. that also exacerbates, you know, all the, the mental health conditions or, yeah. or elements yeah. that people already have. Have you found that? 
Uh, very much so, yeah, yeah. I think it's been a very, very difficult period for, well, for everybody, but certainly for people that are in, that were already in uh, states of crisis that have maybe lost access as well to, to sort of contact with their, um, with their, with their mental health services and stuff. While, while they've been sort of, I guess, a little bit more erratic throughout the, throughout the lockdown and throughout the whole COVID thing. And how about the Christmas and New Year in general? You know, on an average year, is it is? Did you get an increase in calls? Yeah, I think I think it's always a busier time of year. Yeah, it's all you know for for obvious reasons. Again, really, I think that I think there's a statistic that would tell you that that rates of suicide and attempted suicides spike at that time of year. Anyway, you know, so that's that's always a it's always a thing. Mm. I think I guess it's just that thing about. Um, connection and, and loneliness and which is exactly you know which is exaggerated at that time of year absolutely and so yeah sort of just considering those two things at the time that, that at the moment is you know we're just entering the new year and um and and we're in in, in many places in extreme lockdown do you mm. find that there's um people who are calling the line that that wouldn't necessarily normally call uh, yes, I would. Yeah, I think um, obviously without going into specifics of calls, that that's certainly been my experience. Yeah, we know. Um, so we've we've had many many calls like that, and they're starting to increase as well as time as time moves on. So if if I was someone who was considering it and hadn't called the line before, what mm. are the sort of barriers do you think that that might might stop me? Um, well, I think we've spoken about one or two of them, and I think I, I guess putting yourself in the shoes of somebody that's going to make that call sort of throws up a few answers to that. In the sense that it's partly the, the, as we talked about earlier, that thing about not wanting to divulge your details and feeling that you know, feeling that you don't want to be identified. Um, I guess do you find a... that 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 men don't call in as often? I say I know that in mental health and. And and men is is a big issue right now, and people trying to encourage men to be more open about their vulnerability. Yeah, well. yeah. It's in my experience, it's a fairly mixed it's a fairly mixed bag in that respect. I, I don't know what the statistics are, but I would mm. think obviously culturally we do have that thing, don't we? Of uh, you know the sort of stiff upper lip thing with with men, mm. and so so I guess yeah, I, I guess that. I understand you have a fair few from prison ringing in as well, if not necessarily. Yes, we do. Yeah, and that always tends to be males. I think that I think there's a, um, a statistic that supports that as well. That you know that there's quite a high suicide or attempted suicide rate mm. among among male prisoners. Um, so we do get yeah we do get a lot of prison calls. Okay, and 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 what about for people whose first language isn't English? And you do have an email service, so if somebody we do, yeah. is uncertain about speaking English, they could mm, but could mm. write, and they could mm. at least access you that way. Well, well, that's right, yeah. And I think that's a big thing uh, with younger people as well. Is you, you tend to find a lot of younger people will use the email service right. in, in preference in preference to phoning. Uh, I think it's just that again. I think that's probably a, partly a cultural thing, isn't it? In that, that you know that we're we're sort of glued to our phones more more so now than than we are uh, in, in terms of using them as uh, you know email text devices rather than sort of actual phones as such really yeah absolutely yeah um, and i suppose that i was just thinking also people could feel embarrassed about about ringing or feel like well, well that's right yeah not not, yeah yeah. Or... yeah absolutely yeah we do get a lot of that yeah um we do get a lot of calls that, that sort of start out like that you know that sorry to bother you kind of thing hmm. um and I and, and I guess as well, with that in mind, I, I, that's it's probably it's probably easier for people to email mm. 
um, than it is to make that call, I guess, really, yeah. because it's that, that thing about being able to, you know, edit your, your email and, and until you're sort of happy that you're saying what you want to say with it, really. I guess it gives you the opportunity to do that. Is there a um, typical, typical sort of turnaround time in terms of emails? Because I suppose if I was feeling pretty desperate and I was thinking, should I email or should I should I ring? Mm, mm. I, if I know that if I ring, I've got someone right away. Is, did you email back fairly immediately or is there a turnaround it, time? It varies. I mean, that that's, depends upon how many emails are waiting and how many we do right. have a we do have a system because it's a centralised um, system, as is the phone system, obviously. So if you were to phone from, say, Newcastle, that you wouldn't be phoning Samaritans in Newcastle. It goes into a, a nationwide um, hmm. a sort of call centre, if you like, and it, it can be picked up anywhere, as as can the emails. So we do have a, uh, as part of our system, we do have a thing that tells you how many emails are waiting for responses and how many callers are waiting for, um, you know, that their call to be answered and what the sort of average wait time is for both, you know, so hmm. that gives you, the, gives you the opportunity to jump on whichever one is in the most need, if that makes oh, sense, when you, when, you, when you sort of start your shift. Yeah. So, but but I couldn't. I mean, that can be. Yeah, I mean, the waiting time for emails can be can be fairly quick. Really, you could get a response within an hour, or or alternatively, it could take three or four hours for mm. an email to, for us to get back to you. It depends on how busy the system is, really, and how many people are are on shift sure. volunteering. Sure. And I suppose also people might ring up uh, or worry about ringing when they ring up that they might actually get upset on the line. They might end up crying, mm. or not, not yeah. actually being yeah. able to sleep uh, to speak. Sorry. Yeah. Are, are you used yeah. to that? Do you have ways of dealing with that or reassuring people? Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's just, it, it, oftentimes that's just about, as you say, reassuring people and giving people time as well. Also, you know, at the start of calls, really, because you do you do get that where the call will just be kind of fairly silent at the start of it, and you sort of know that somebody's there, but. Mm. And they're obviously in a state of distress, but can't bring themselves to, to sort of talk even or sort of open up. So you just give them time, really, and just reassure them that you're there and ready when they want to talk. Mm. Uh, Great stuff. Okay, so just to recap, then, if if someone's kind of wanting to call for the first time, but they're anxious about making the call, um, they can they can basically take take into account the points you've mentioned. Uh, can also use email. Um, mm -hmm. And um, and and I suppose just just having faith in the Samaritans. Obviously, the charity's been going for that long. You've had so many people through, mm. you know, your your calls and everything. You've got there's a certain amount of experience and expertise as well in managing, you know, people who are feeling distressed. Um, and uh, I, yeah, sorry, go to Karen. No, I was just going to say uh, yes. It, it it certainly it certainly feels that way. Um, it, uh, you know, without uh, I know I'm biased because I obviously do it, but. But I do think it's an incredible uh, organisation. Okay. Um, and for somebody yeah. who did want to um, do what you're doing to become a volunteer, um, should you tell us a little bit uh, from that side in terms of you know what what what's the time that you need to put in and and, and that kind mm -hmm. of thing training. Yeah, yeah. It is a commitment. You know, it's not something that you can just sort of dip in and out of and and sort of volunteer when you feel like it. There is a time commitment. Um, the branch that I work at, I don't know if it's the same nationwide, but we, we do the shifts of four hour shifts and you have to do, um, and it's an eight week rotor period and you have to do six weeks within that or six shifts, should I say, sorry, within that eight week period. So, so this is pretty much one a week, really, you get a couple of weeks off, um, and you have to do night shifts as well. So there's a sort of a two, two in the morning till six in the morning and a, a 10 at night till two in the morning shift that you have to do. Mm. one of in every eight week period so there is a time commitment there and you know and obviously a, 
a commitment in that respect. Um, and we are trained, obviously, for it was around about 10 weeks, I think, something like that when I did the training. I think it, I think they've condensed it a little bit now. And obviously, it's changed at the moment because it's all being sort of done online, I think, largely. Yeah, so, you, cool. so you are trained and then mentored as well when you start to do the the sort of actual take phone calls and stuff. So you're not on your own in the first instance. You, so it is quite, a, it is very thorough training and they don't sort of um, let you loose on the phone as it were until you're sort of comfortable and confident doing so. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very good, very good training. Um, yeah. Excellent. And I suppose you, uh, on the job, you 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 are quite often with with similar people. Is that right? Or is it a similar time? So you build up a sort of a team. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you never left. You, you're, you're always they won't they won't run a shift. Certainly in the branch that I work in, they won't run a shift. If you're on your own, as it were, they would shut mm. the shift down. You have to have another Samaritan with you. Um, yeah. For, yeah. For support if, if needed, and and, and uh, yeah. So there's always so your regular shifts that you do. Yeah, you're on with the, the same people most of the time. Mm. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. That's that's really really helpful, and um, and and I feel like I've learnt a few things myself. I suppose it, it would be actually good for me to mention that the the phone number for Samaritans is one one six one two three. So yeah, one one six one two three, and the email if anyone would want to email is Joe. So J O at mm-hmm. Samaritans dot org. That's correct. Uh, yeah. And as you say, you can you can email and ring any time, day or night, can't you? Is that is that right? Yes, you can. Yeah, we are open. It's a twenty-four hour service. Yeah, all all year round. So, any time that uh, you know you feel if you feel the need, pick the phone up. We're always there. Um, there is an app also, which the details for which are on the website, and that is a sort of source of help for people if you don't feel that you can phone or you don't feel that you want to email us. There's a, there's a lot of information on there. Brilliant. Well, thank you for taking the time to um to talk to us today. That that's... you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Okay, and um, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Yes, and you too. You take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can find more episodes and other series to do with body, mind and nature at odmab.podbean.com.